0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of Scripture and you will stand with me, let's stand on the solid rock of God's Word together today and anticipate that He is going to rattle the cage a little bit. He's going to shake us up a little bit, church. We need this because... And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are not calm words, those are radical, powerful words of change. And let those words begin to change your heart and mind. Let's pray. God, I ask for you to begin a big work, a radical work in our hearts today. And as we talk about our witness, as we talk about sharing this wonderful gospel truth, I pray that you will begin to radically help us reform and rethink our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment we share. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated well, when we were in Luke chapter 10, I tried to explain to you I was, you know, when we come to the parable a lot of times we'll come to a place in scripture we won't talk about what's going on before it. But in Luke chapter 10, the context is the seven the 72 being sent out. Interestingly, in Matthew 10, we have Jesus just sending out the 12. So it's another sending. It's another great commission kind of passage. But this time, instead of the 72, we have the the, the 12. And what's so interesting about this is, and the difference that I can see right away, is that the 12 are told to kind of keep Close. In other words, to just take their witness to the lost sheep of Israel. And it even says, don't go to the Samaritans, which I find ironic because in Luke 10, you know, it's all centered around the Samaritan guy. But here in Matthew 10, uh, we're not we're not ready for the Samaritans yet. OK, so Jesus is in a sense in Matthew 10 telling his disciples to go and share the gospel with their neighbors. Does that sound like a familiar theme around here? So that's really Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is about sharing with our neighbors. And what's curious is, is that throughout this chapter, there's just one radical statement of Jesus after another. More on that in a moment. But why do we need such a radical teaching today to help us do something that is relatively simple, which is to be a good citizen, a kind person, a loving neighbor, and a Christian witness. Those are easy things. They're kind of basic, you would think, but we're struggling. And for some, it's fear. For others, it's laziness, perhaps. Whatever the reason, we're not doing a very good job of it. 23% of Americans, one study found, I think it was a Pew study, said 23% of Americans consider themselves a good neighbor. The same study said that only 10% of Americans know a name of one of their neighbors. Let's see here. 23 say, I'm a good neighbor, but only 10% even know a name. So that just shows you that in America, we are very, very, very confident and don't have the stats to back it up sometimes. Um, So what we have here is we, we have a problem. And some of the things we've been talking about, why would, you know, is that like delusional? Well, not exactly, because today the definition of a good neighbor is just basically the person who doesn't cause any trouble in their neighborhood. Like, if you're not uh, causing other people to call the, the cops on you, you're a good neighbor in your mind. That's how you're seeing it. But we know it's, it can't be like that. It has to be better. And here, in Jesus' words, we find a challenge. It's, it, we have to, like, go back to the beginning. We need these radical teachings to remind us that we may not have it all together. We may be a little overconfident, actually in even our Christian walk, thinking that we're doing it right when maybe we're not. It's kind of like you just earned your PhD, but then you go back to the kindergarten class to go over and brush up on your ABCs. I feel like that's what the church needs to do. We have Sunday school class. We come to worship. We have all these discipleship opportunities. But when it comes right down to it, some of the ABCs aren't getting done. And the New Testament prepares us for a radical new lifestyle, friends. And the problem is, is we've tried to tame our faith's radicalism we need to understand that Jesus is calling us to do something big and when we try to tame the Christian faith we are robbing it of its very fire power we need the power of Jesus we need the power of the Holy Spirit and when I read Matthew 10 and I encourage you to read the whole chapter it's powerful you'll see that Jesus is kind of like a, a commander on the battlefield, and in a little bit, I'm going to read from Romans 15, and we're going to see from from Paul the same kind of of uh, feeling that he is a battlefield commander, telling us to go out and do the work of the kingdom. And I think that as Christians, we look out and into the culture today and we see a lot of menacing fortresses we it seems like there's the the enemy's on the move in so many places but here jesus is telling us that we've got to go even if there's danger let me just show you a couple things in matthew chapter 10 look at verse 16 jesus says to his disciples i'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves he says in verses 18 and 19 that they will be delivered over to Gentile kings and authorities, and they will be called names. They will be derided by the, the Gentiles just as Jesus was, chapter 10, verse 25. And yet Jesus says this. He says, have no fear of them. Jesus tells us to witness even when there is going to be trouble. There is reward in a faithful witness. Notice this. Chapter 10 also says in verses 31 and 32, listen to this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And negatively he says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. So listen, the stakes are real and they are high. God is calling us to be faithful witnesses and there is no middle ground here. We need to make sure that our witness is growing and that our relationships are growing as well. So let me just put it to you this way. It's kind of simple math. If we say, okay, we know we need to share the gospel more. How do we do that? Well, the most basic way is to be intentional about building relationships. Because before you can ever share the gospel with someone, you need to build a relationship. So, Get in, get out of your mind for a moment. Even the concept of neighboring, it's not so much about that. It's about building relationships. We are not going to be able to witness to people if we're not building those relationships. And every single one of us, we have to say, okay, where can I reach out and begin to build those relationships? And the obvious place is by caring for our neighbor. We've been given authority over spiritual darkness. Chapter 10, verse 1 tells us this. In fact, the gospel gives us healing power. We are told in chapter 10, verse 1 as well. We have the Spirit's guiding voice helping us. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. And we can be fearless in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 26. Jesus is telling us that we have a difficult journey, but he's telling us that he will not leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. And so what we need to do, church, is we need to begin to have a radical rethinking of our lives And it all starts with us understanding that Christ, he is our commander in battle. I just want to encourage you. In the last few weeks, I've noticed in the first service, and not so much in this service, but sometimes in this one, that I I can, it's weird, you know, I have this great hearing. Sometimes people are kind of chattering and, and kind of doing their own thing. I used to walk down off the stage and do some pretty embarrassing things. I don't ever want to have to do that again. So, you know, uh, listen, I think God's got something for us. Don't be a distraction to your neighbor, all right? Let's listen very well today because we need to hear from Christ, our commander in battle. Now, loving your neighbor isn't exactly like going to war. Okay, I know the metaphor is a little too strong because my guess is, is you probably have some neighbors that are like young families that have these little cute kids. You're not going to war against them Maybe your neighbors are, are older, sweet, sweet grandma and grandpa. Okay, we're not, we're not trying to pick a fight with grandma. What we're saying is, is we want to have intentionality. We want to have a strategy. We want to realize that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but many times uh, it is, it, it's inside of our own hearts. The battle begins in our own hearts where the enemy gives us all the reasons for not doing the right thing, for not caring for people. We want to be open to the reality that sometimes we just lose The battle of the heart and for the heart. Today, I I really want you to know, it's not like we're going to, as you walk out of here, we're going to give you your marching orders and, you know, the the, the ten houses, you're going to go knock on their doors today or anything like that. We're talking about baby steps. Today, what we're talking about is just letting the Spirit begin to convict your heart about those relationships in your life and what you are doing to make them better and Giving you some impetus, maybe challenging you just a little bit to get out of your comfort zone, because our Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth to save us. John 1.14, Jesus came much further to reach you than you're going to have to go to reach your neighbor. But you're still called to go. And we need to be bold, and we need to hear Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew 10, is forcing us to face our fears. He is admitting, he is saying to his disciples that they are going to run into problems, but it's not about the problems, it's how you think about the problems. Look at the very first verse of our text, where Jesus says there in verse 34, do not think. Now, don't take that too far, because we do want to think, but the, the, the point here is, Don't think in the wrong direction. Don't think amiss, is what Jesus is saying. He wants us to think right. And what he begins to do is, he says, listen... You may think that I've come, and and let me just kind of contextualize this. I think he's saying to his disciples, you may think that I have come to be a worldly king, but that's not what I'm here to do. I am here, I think Jesus is saying, to do something on a soul level. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That's what the message of the gospel is according to this chapter, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, quit thinking like the world. Quit thinking about kingdoms and political systems and power structures. Start thinking about souls. And so let me say this to you, church. It's not about the strategy we're going to give you this year, but I am asking you to think about souls. Do not think that we have an agenda to make our name great. Do not think that we have a plan that is all about just church growth. Listen, we are into kingdom growth. We want to see God gripping hearts and grabbing souls and rescuing them from death and the grave. Do not think that Jesus came just to bring peace. Notice what it says. It says, no, I came to bring war. And the language of verse 34 is very visual. Kind of throws down a sword, literally. He commands us to love him more than we love anything else. Even if that causes division. Notice the relationships mentioned man, father, daughter, mother, daughter-in-law, mother-in-law. And I just think that's so funny that he has to throw mother-in-laws in this. You know, it's, you know, it's crazy. But, but we get it. It's talking about our key family connections. Jesus' words here are radical. He's telling us to put him before our families. And you say, what, what does that mean? He says, well, you're not even worthy of me if you're not willing to do this. So let me just make it plain. Jesus is not calling you to be the rebel in your family. But what he's saying is, if you will make me the Lord of your life, I will organize your life. I will prioritize your life. You can love your family well when you are in love with Jesus. And we need to count the cost. We need to be willing to put Jesus first because when he is the king of our heart, when he's the general of our lives, then our families are going to be blessed by that. Our families do not suffer when we are following Jesus. Our families are going to grow in grace as well. I believe that. But we need to realize that following Jesus may require some cost. And I know that in the church today, it seems like we, we only want to hear the messages that say that if we follow Jesus, if, if, we, if we do the right things, that everything will work out, we'll be blessed. But when I read the biographies of men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a man who understood the cost of discipleship and wrote about that. I realized that, that, that being blessed doesn't mean that I live a pain-free life. One scholar, Artie France, France, says that there is a debit side to discipleship. And I think that's a shocking thought to most modern American Christians, that there's a debit side to discipleship. Because most of us, when we think about discipleship, we're thinking, oh, I'm going to learn more about Jesus. Oh, I'm going to learn how to share my faith, which is is good. That's what we want. But sometimes, being a disciple of Jesus, there's a debit side, and we're going to have to pay. We're going to have to pay some of our strength, some of our resources, maybe even our very lives. There have been so many martyrs in the last hundred years, more than at any other period in the history of the church, to serve Jesus in this world today is not the safest thing to do, but it's the only thing to do when you are a child of God. It's a shame that what I said there is kind of hard to take. It, it, it's like that it, it hits us, and, and we're like, wow, like, is that right? Only a radical rethinking of our faith will shock us out of our prosperity-minded, selfish religion and into a spirit-filled, life-changing gospel life. Let me just say this, and I, and I mean this in the kindest possible way, but it seems like today in churches in America, we're all looking for like the right fit, the right kind of church that does the right kind of ministry, and and, and we're, 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 we're going to move around until we find that. And I understand that that has to happen from time to time. But I'm afraid that sometimes we're moving around so much trying to find that which fits. That, that really all we're doing is, is we're avoiding ever having to really serve Jesus. That we're not staying set long enough for God to really get a hold of us. And and part of the reason is, is because we keep looking for the church that feeds me, that that makes me feel a certain way. And listen, when the gospel's preached, sometimes it's going to make us feel really good, and other times, maybe not so much. But we want to hear the gospel. We want to be changed by the words of Jesus. And we're going to have to have a radical rethinking, because only when we love Jesus supremely will we serve him absolutely. And I feel like today that's the problem that we're facing, is that We we are lacking in that loving um, demeanor. We're not loving Jesus with all of our hearts supremely. And that's why our serving seems to be, well, not so great. We need to follow Christ in battle. And these words, verses 34 um, through verse 37, really show us that need for the church to follow Jesus as our general, our king, our Lord, our everything. But to do that, there's a cross to bear. Take a look at verses 38 and 39. When Jesus spoke these words, his disciples did not know what you know. And that is that Jesus would die on the cross for their sins. He had, Jesus had hinted at that, but they had no way to comprehend the profundity of the cross. Or for that matter, to think of the cross in any way that was positive. But listen to what he says. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Church, listen, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The other day, I think it was on Facebook, it was this really cheesy picture, like you would have maybe in like a a kid's Sunday school literature from maybe the 60s or 70s and 70s, I barely remember maybe the 70s, but it kind of looked like that. And it was this picture of Jesus, you know, he's walking along. He's got his white robes on, which is, you know, kind of, you know, what you expect. And he had a wooden cross around his neck. Okay, that doesn't work. Okay, you know, that, that's not the right image. Somebody, like, really made a mistake there. I'm glad that when they put the chosen together, they did more research than that. Okay, because they got their research right. It's a great, great um, uh, uh, telling of the Gospels, I'll tell you, but that really wasn't. So think about this with me for just a moment. If you were a disciple of Jesus, uh, a year or so before his crucifixion, when the word cross came up, there was only one thing that came to your mind, which was watching people suffer about as much as a human can suffer as they die. It was a punishment from Rome that was dreaded. Why? Because a person, especially a Hebrew, that was hung on a cross was, according to the Scriptures, cursed of God. So it wasn't just that the body would suffer, but in their mind, that meant that the soul was lost jesus's language here is as over the top as it gets he doesn't go from first to second he goes from first to fifth he wants these disciples to realize that following him is going to require extreme suffering for some of them and peter we know was crucified upside down so this was a literal thing for him but The image here is not as much literal, I think, to all 12 as figurative. He is telling them that they need to be ready to suffer for Jesus. And if they're not willing to do that, they're not worthy of him. That's that's strong language. Let me throw a few things out at you here. We are afraid of having a cringy conversation with a neighbor when Jesus is telling us that we should be willing to be nailed to a cross for our faith. People in the church today talk about Jesus saving them and blessing them. I want more blessings. I want more blessings. Of course you do, because you're sinful. And you think that the blessings are flesh. That's not okay. We have a shallow sort of faith in our country today, and we act like that's okay. And Jesus' words here, well, maybe he didn't mean them this way. But let me tell you, Jesus doesn't say, you may experience a hangnail for me. No, he says, they may hang you by nails on a cross. They're hard things. In fact, Jesus says there are a lot of people who are finding their blessings and are actually losing their lives. See that in verse 39? They're trying to seek a life in this world, and they're losing it. Those who are willing to lose their life, however, Jesus says, are finding life. We have to call out, and we can call it the prosperity gospel, but it's much deeper than that. Any kind of Christianity that's in goal is just our creature comforts is not in keeping with the message of jesus in the scriptures jesus is not giving us like you know the light-hearted way of christian living no i believe that he is calling us to not conform to the world the way of jesus is here to transform the world and the reason why we're not salt and light is because too often we have conformed we're listening to the voices of the world instead of the, the voice of the Savior. And Jesus is calling us to something big. And if we are following Jesus, if we are being obedient in these little things, I'm telling you, God will open doors. He will help us to be kind and gracious. If we will crucify our fears, if we will get over our laziness, our spiritual laziness, we will see God do incredible things here at Ridgecrest and here in southwest Missouri. We need to ask God to help us to, to nail all those fears to his cross. We need crucified hearts. We need fearless souls. And then we will have strong love, strong Christians exhibiting strong love for the nations. Turn in your Bibles, if you have your copy of your scripture there in your, in your lap, uh, to Romans 15. We have it on the screen for you, too. We, we have you covered either way. But Romans 15, have it open there if you want, though, And Look at the text and let it just grip you. Because Paul's statement on neighboring really is Romans fifteen one through 3 He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I think we need to have a radical redefinition of what it means to be a strong Christian. A strong Christian doesn't mean that you have all the answers in Bible trivia, but what it means is a strong Christian is one who builds up others. Selfish Christianity works to build up self. Cross-centered Christianity serves to bring glory to Christ and to the other. And the other is broadly defined. It can be your neighbor. It can be your waitress this afternoon at the restaurant. It can be your coworker worker uh, tomorrow or the student in your class that sits in the desk next to you. I don't know who the other is. But when we are strong in the Lord, we are fortified in the spirit. And we are able in the moment to speak a word of love and truth to those who need it most. And I am convinced, I'm just going to brag on you guys, we have some incredible believers in this room who have a, a wonderful gift, a wonderful testimony that is worth sharing. And I'm going to tell you, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Because you've got the story. You've got the spirit. You can do what God wants you to do. You just have to have courage today. And don't forget, we who are strong, Paul says, have an obligation This isn't an option but an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Quit pointing out the problems in the church and become a solution. Become a witness. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Make sure you are loving others well. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to encourage one another. I'm not here today to tell you that you're not doing your job because many of you are powerful witnesses for Jesus, and I love you for that. We're here to make sure that when we're having a bad day, that we're not shooting each other, but we're building each other up. Because we're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. But in the end, we need to have consistent, consistent witnesses for Jesus. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, when I think about strong, weak, right? you think thinking going to the gym, right? Or this afternoon when you're watching these football players, you know? I mean, if I had arms like that, I'd make sure I'd tighten up my shirt and everything too. I'd want to show off those, those muscles. But that's not what this is talking about. In fact, the word weakness here in the text has the same root of the word asthma. You know what God's telling us? There are a lot of people in the world today and the breath has been knocked out of them. They, they, they need you to be something like a... a to give CPR. You, they, they need you to... If you're filled with the fresh wind and and fresh power and fire of the Spirit, you need to breathe into others. I mean that spiritually. We need to realize that the weakness in the world, it's not about this kind of physical strength. The weakness in the church and in the world is because so often we are not filled with the Spirit of God. We need to realize that to reach our neighbors and to reach the world, we need to be Spirit-filled. But to reach our neighbors, we have to get to know our neighbors that's the only way that we can breathe truth into their lives. Verse 2 let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Paul says, you need, if there's a weak person, if you're weak, get strong because your neighbor needs you. He needs to be built up. Every act of kindness is a micro sacrifice for your neighbor radical faith. It, it, it isn't something that starts big. I don't, think, I, I don't think we need to wait for, you know, the, the lightning in the sky, as it were. I think we just need to, in our hearts, begin to make those decisions day by day to be faithful. That's what radical faith looks like. Jesus was just obedient. He did not please himself. Verse 3, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross, but he was willing to take the burden of others so that they could be saved. And it is our job, church, to be radical enough, to love the other enough, to take on some burdens, to care for those people, and to have the opportunity of sharing Jesus with them. Let me just end with this. There's always stats out there. If you want to find a depressing stat, um, the internet is wonderful for this. Um, 78% of Christians have not shared their faith in the last six months, according to one study. In fact, 59% of evangelical born-again Christians haven't even invited anybody to church in the last six months. And I, I, I can't, Look at those numbers and say, oh, that can't be right. I, I actually look at those numbers and say, yeah, that's probably exactly right. But that's some bad news. You need some good news? Yes, I think. Yeah, say yes. You want good news. Yes. All right. You know, bad news is bad news. But here's some good news. 82% of non-Christians say they are open to a conversation about the Christian faith. Eight out of ten people you come in contact with. You don't have to be weird about it, but you have to be intentional. You have to take a little bit of time and 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 care for someone enough. I, I am. I'm, I'm often just blown away by a, a casual conversation and and a person say, Well, yeah, I've never been to church, but I've I, you know I am kind of curious what it's all about, especially when you live in Springfield and either you know you either go to a bank or to a church because that's the only two structures in the whole town. I mean. That's so all we have are banks and churches, right? I mean, it's just one or the other. And so people that move here from out of, out of state, like let's say someone comes from Washington State or something like that, or, or even from another country, I think sometimes they're, they're, they're like, wow, look at all these churches. And there's an opportunity there. But will we be faithful? Will we be faithful? And this morning there was, there was a, a visitor here and um, someone just took the time to say, hey, are you new here? And, and, and this person came to me after. They were so proud of themselves. And I loved it. it was, the enthusiasm was great. So, I normally don't do that. And so this, this lady was applying this principle right there and this person was overjoyed have that. And don't think, I mean, the the age difference was huge. It was just someone loving someone else, someone taking a a baby step. I'm telling you, the world out there is looking for us to be loving. Now, here's the deal. This talk of radicalism, if that's where we start with our neighbors, we go knock on the door. Hey, I'm a radical Christian. Well, that's probably not going to work really well. But here's what I want you to hear, church. We need to hear the radical teachings of Jesus because I don't know what it's going to take to light a fire in your heart. But most of us, we don't have much of a fire. And we spend a lot of time making excuses for not being a good witness instead of being in the altar surrendering. Before you're going to be a good neighbor, you need to have a radical rethinking of your life. Jesus is telling us that in Matthew 10, and Paul is telling us that in Romans 15. That radical new life, you know, it probably just begins with the small step of repentance in the altar. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.